Romans 11, excuse me, Romans 13, 11 through 14, finishes up chapter 13 and uh, adds a new emphasis to what Paul has been saying to us in chapter 12 and chapter 13. He puts an emphasis now not only on how we ought to live, which he's been emphasizing throughout chapter 12 and chapter 13, but now in chapter 13, he emphasizes that we need to live this way because of what time it is. Now, the question, what time is it, is a question people used to ask each other all the time. We don't ask it as often anymore because all of us have these little devices we carry around with us that tell us the time as well as a million other things, most of which we don't actually need to know most of the time. But most of us carry around the time with us everywhere we go, all throughout the day. But people used to ask, do you have the time? What time is it? Sometimes just to pass the time. Just to have a you know, somewhat meaningless but polite conversation with somebody they are bumping into, or maybe a, a polite way to get a conversation started. Sometimes the question, do you know what time it is, can be a little more weighty, though. Sometimes it can be a rebuke. If your boss asks you, do you know what time it is? He probably noticed you're a little too late to work today. Right? Or if you're a teenager and your parents say, do you know what time it is? You might have missed your curfew, right? You might be in a little bit of trouble. Knowing what time it is, right? Knowing what time it is can be about more than just knowing the position of the sun or uh, knowing the hour of the day. Sometimes knowing the time means knowing what you ought to be doing. Sometimes it even means knowing how you ought to be dressed. Right? If, uh, if your spouse says to you, do you know what time it is? It might mean you're supposed to meet friends for dinner in five minutes and you've been working out in the yard and you're not ready to go yet. Right? Do you know what time it is? We need to leave. You're not dressed appropriately. When Paul talks about what time it is in Romans 13, these are the kinds of things he has in mind. Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? And are we dressed the way we are supposed to be dressed? So let's look at what Paul says, has to say about the significance of knowing the time and what knowing the time has to do with how we as Christians ought to be living, what we ought to be doing, and how we ought to be dressed. So let me read for us Romans 13, 11 to 14. He says, besides this, You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Paul begins that paragraph there by talking about what time it is. And he says that the church in Rome knows the time, or at least 
They ought to know the time. He says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. So what time is it? Paul says, it's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to be alert. It's time for you to be active. It's time for you to be on your guard. Now, we speak this way pretty often too, right? When we say to somebody, wake up, right? We don't always mean you literally are asleep and you need to wake up. Sometimes we just mean, hey, you're supposed to be doing something and you're not doing it. You're supposed to be paying attention to something and you're not paying attention to it. Right, we've all seen uh, little kids, especially playing baseball, and they might be out in, in right field or center field, and they're just, you know, they're just enjoying God's creation. They're just having a great time, and the coach notices they're daydreaming, and he says, hey, wake up, right? Pay attention to the game. Think about what you're supposed to be doing. That's what Paul is saying to the church in Rome and to us. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. It's time for you to wake up, to pay attention, to get dialed in, to devote yourself to doing what you are supposed to be doing. Paul used similar language in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we read from earlier as well. Similar context, right? Be awake, be sober, be alert, Don't be dozing off. Don't be slacking. Don't be falling uh, off of your job because we live in an important time and you need to be awake and be paying attention. Now, what time is it that we are supposed to be awake for, that we are supposed to be alert for? What's so significant about this moment that we need to make sure that we're not dozing off? Well, Paul says... Uh, that the reason we need to wake from sleep, there in the middle of verse 11, is for or because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now, what exactly does he mean by that? That, uh, that can sound a little confusing to us because when we talk about salvation, most of the time what we mean is the moment when you were converted, the moment when you were saved, when you turned from your sin and you believed in Christ, right? You were saved. And normally when we use the word salvation, we're talking about that particular moment in time. That's when I was saved. Whether whether it's a day you can remember or just a period of your life, you look back and think, that's when God saved me, that's when God changed me. Whatever it is, we normally talk about salvation in the past tense. And the Bible talks about salvation in the past tense. But the Bible also talks about salvation in the future tense. And that's how Paul is talking about it here. Salvation is, we haven't reached this part of salvation yet, but it's getting closer to us. It's nearer to us than when we first believed. When we first believed, that's when we got saved the way we talk about it usually, right? But he says there's, a, there's another salvation, or better, another part of our salvation that we haven't yet reached, and it's getting near. Now, it's not only Paul who talks this way. All throughout the Bible, people talk this way. There's a future component. There's a future aspect to our salvation. For example, in Hebrews 9.28... 
It says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, talking about his second coming, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, in one sense, we would say, if somebody's eagerly waiting for the return of Christ, they're already saved. Non-Christians aren't eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. It's Christians who are eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. And yet, he says, those who are eagerly waiting for Jesus, those are the ones he is returning to save. So there's a future peace to our salvation. Here's how Peter says it. In 1 Peter 1, 3-5, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the de- uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now listen to this part: who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we've already been born again, right? He says that in the first verse I read there. We've already been born again, so we've been saved. And yet there is a salvation that God is guarding us for that is not going to be revealed until the last time, until the return of Christ. John says it this way in 1 John 3, 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. We're saved. We're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So we're already God's children. We're already saved. But there's something future about that salvation that we don't fully know yet. Because we haven't seen it. We haven't experienced it. But what we do know is that when Jesus comes back, we're going to be made perfectly like Him. So this future part of our salvation that Paul's talking about here in Romans 13 that's getting nearer to us all the time, that's the part of our salvation where we are raised from the dead, our bodies are glorified, we are fully and forever freed from the presence of sin, right? We were already forgiven of our sin when we trusted in Christ and were saved. But when Jesus comes back, we won't even have to deal with sin anymore. We'll, we'll be sinless from that point forward. We'll be glorified. We'll be raised to be with Christ and live with Him in the new creation the Bible talks about forever. So Paul says the reason we need to be alert, the reason we need to be awake is because of what time it is. And what time it is, is the time is getting nearer to the day when Christ returns and we finally receive that fullness of our salvation that is still future. No one knows the day or the hour of Christ's return, of course. But we know that we're getting closer All the time. We can't help but be getting closer all the time, right? Paul in his day and the church in Rome, they were getting closer to the return of Christ all the time. And for 2,000 years, we've been getting closer to the return of Christ all the time. And we don't know what the end date is, but we know we're nearer to it today than we were yesterday. 
And so it's not time for us to doze off or slack off. It's time for us to be awake, for us to be ready, for us to be alert. Paul says in verse 12, the first part of verse 12, he says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Another translation says, The night is almost over. The day is almost come. The day there that he's talking about, of course, is the return of Christ. The coming of Christ. When he returns, that will be the full dawning of the glorious day that he will bring at his return. And, as Paul says, the night that we are currently living through, it's almost over. It's almost over. Now you might say, how can Paul have said that 2,000 years ago, and we still say that today, and it be true both times? How can it, it, isn't it like either he was wrong, that it wasn't really near, or that he wasn't talking to them, he's talking to us, and we're near, but they weren't near. No, they were near, and we're near. And the reason we know that both of those things can be true is because of what Peter says in 2 Peter 3 about God's relationship to time. He says that for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So we look at our watches and think, 2,000 years? That doesn't sound like near. That sounds like Paul was wrong. And the Lord you know, looks at his watch, so to speak, and says, it's just been a couple of days. I'm not dragging my feet. I've got a plan. I'm going to be there on time. It's really not been that long. It seems like a long time to us, but it's not a long time to the Lord. But Peter says there are going to be people who say, look, this whole return of Christ thing that you guys are talking about, it's never going to happen. Look how long it's been. And this was, in, you know, this was while Peter was still alive. They're already saying, look how long it's been. He's not coming back. But it's not been that long. It could be another couple thousand years and it still wouldn't be that long. The way the Lord reckons time. So Paul was near to the return of Christ. And we are near to the return of Christ. And part of why we can say that is not only because the Lord relates to time differently than we do. But also because the New Testament tells us we are living in the last days. And I don't mean by that that some significant event has happened in the last week or month or year or decade to signal that we are in the last days. I mean the Bible says ever since Jesus is coming, we've been in the last days. This is the last chapter of the story before the new beginning. Right Between the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ into heaven and the return of Christ, and we don't know when that's going to happen, between those two, all of that is the last days. This is the last chapter of the story. Here's how, again, the writer of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 1. He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But... In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the writer of Hebrews says, I'm in the last days. 
We're in the last days. Everybody living on this side of the cross is in the last days. This is the last chapter. And then when Jesus comes back, then we have a new beginning. But as far as this part of the story goes, this is the, these are the last days. And so, again, to us, it might feel like a whole lot of last days. But to the Lord, it's just a couple. Days like a thousand years, thousand years like one day. It's not been that long. The point is, it's near. The end is near. And so it's time to wake up. It's time to be alert. It's time to do right. That's Paul's emphasis throughout the rest of this paragraph. That because of what time it is, we need to live a certain way. We need to act a certain way. We need to dress a certain way. And that's just good New Testament eschatology. Right? Eschatology is just a shortcut word for the last things, the end times, whatever you want to call it. And when the Bible talks about the end being near, when the Bible talks about the return of Christ being near, when the Bible tells us to get ready for the end, here's what it always tells us. Because Jesus is coming soon, you need to live a holy, godly life. That's the point. That's the emphasis. Whenever the Bible says Jesus is coming, the next point is usually get ready. And get ready means love your neighbor, love Jesus, obey what God commands, get rid of sin, and do what God says is right. That's how you get ready for the return of Christ. Here's how Paul says it here. He says, verse 12, again, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, right? So Jesus is coming soon. So... So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. In other words, he says, it's time to wake up, it's time to be alert, and that means living a certain way, doing certain things and not doing other things. So he says, because the day is at hand, let us cast off the works of darkness. That, that can mean both the works that people tend to do in the dark and the works that are dark, meaning they're evil, they're wicked, they're sinful. Right? So cast off the works of darkness, the things that are sinful, the things that are shameful, the things you know you're not supposed to do, and that's why you typically only do them when no one can see you and no one is looking. You need to just get rid of all that stuff. Whatever it is you're hiding, whatever it is you're secretly ashamed of, cast it off, Paul says. Be done with it. You don't have time to mess with that stuff anymore because Jesus is coming back soon and you want to be found faithful and you want to be found ready when he comes. So cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Light, of course, has to do with what is good, what is righteous. It has to do with the things of God. The Bible even says in 1 John that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So when Paul says put on the armor of light, it's very similar to saying what he says in Ephesians 6. Put on the armor of God. Put on righteousness. Put on the gospel. Put on truth. Put on the gospel of peace. All all those things that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6. 
all those things that are good and right and true. Arm yourself with those things. Clothe yourself with those things. Get rid of the things associated with the darkness and put on what is associated with the light. In verse 13, the way he says it is, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Often when the Bible talks about how we should live, it uses this language of walking. It's not talking about your footsteps, your cadence as you walk. It's talking about how you live, how you go about your life. And he says we should walk properly. Walk in a way that's appropriate. Live in a way that fits with your profession to be a follower of Christ. Live in a way that is pleasing to God, where the things that you do, you know are things that honor God. Do the kinds of things you're not embarrassed to do in the full light of day. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, he says. And then he lists several things that are not appropriate for the daytime, things we ought not to be doing. Carousing or orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, those things that are clearly immoral and sinful and wrong and of the flesh. But don't miss the last two, he says. Quarreling and jealousy. You don't have time for those either. No more quarreling. No more jealousy. No more envy. No more divisiveness. No more wrath. All those things Paul mentions elsewhere as well about that as uh, works of the flesh. Things that are sinful. Things that do not come from the Spirit, but that come from our sinful nature. It's not just the things that we normally think of as clearly, obviously immoral, but also the more subtly sinful things, like jealousy and anger. Paul says, get rid of all that stuff. Being ready for the return of Christ means having nothing to do with those things any longer. Recognize where you are on God's calendar. Recognize how close you may be to the return of Christ. And live appropriately. Live as those who belong to the day. Know what time it is. Know how to act. And then last, know how to dress. Verse 14. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already said, put off sinful things, the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. But here he describes it a little bit differently. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine yourself clothed in Christ Himself. He is your garment. He is your cloak. He is your identity. You go out into the world arrayed in Christ Himself if you belong to Christ. And Paul is saying you need to actively choose to walk in that reality. It's true of you if you're a Christian that Christ is in you, that you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But what Paul is saying is you need to actively embrace that identity. Think of yourself 
as someone clothed in Christ himself and live as somebody who is clothed in Christ himself. Live, this is all he's saying is live as a Christian. Live as someone who belongs to Christ, as someone who is in Christ. Again, we know that there are certain ways that we are supposed to dress at certain times. Right? You wear different clothes to church than you wear to work in the yard. You wear different clothes when you go to a, an evening wedding right? than you wear on Saturday morning. And Paul is saying, if you know what time it is, then you know how you're supposed to be dressed too. You can't be covering yourself in darkness, covering yourself in sin, covering yourself in shameful things. You need to get rid of that stuff. Take that nasty stuff off and clothe yourself in God's light. Clothe yourself in Christ himself. And then finally he says this, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When he talks about the flesh there, he's not talking about your physical body, right? He's talking about your sinful nature. Those, that, that sort of mass of desires that still exists inside of us, that seeks to lure us into things we know we're not supposed to be involved in, lure us into doing things we know we're not supposed to do. Paul says those, those sinful desires, that sinful nature, give it no quarter. Don't even feed it crumbs. Make no provision for it whatsoever. Don't tell yourself, most of the time, I'm trying to do exactly what Jesus wants me to do. But on Friday nights, I just have to have a little bit of time where I can do whatever I feel like doing, even if I know it's wrong. Or when I'm traveling, you know, it's just a different, it's just a di- No. No provision for the flesh. No quarter. No room whatsoever. You don't say, I'm going to consider myself clothed with Christ 95% of the time, but I just got to have that 5% that I just sort of block off and and, and don't let anybody know about and, and hope that God doesn't care too much about. Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Make no provision for the flesh whatsoever. If you've been asleep not paying attention, not taking Christ seriously, not seeking to live a Christ-like life, Paul says it's past time to wake up. You don't have time to live like that anymore. Get rid of the sins that you've indulged and indulge them no more. Clothe yourself with Christ and live as one who is eager for the day to dawn. And if you don't know Christ... Now is the time to trust Him. Now is the time to turn to Him. Because His coming is near for you too, whether you're ready for it or not. But He has made provision for you and for me. His death on the cross, His resurrection, secures full forgiveness and salvation for everyone who trusts in Him. And if we receive such a gift from such a Savior, we should live in such a way as Paul calls us to here in Romans 13. Let's pray.